0: So, Jonah, I wonder what you thought when you heard this was the story we're going to be looking at this summer. It's such an extreme story, isn't it? Nothing happens by halves at all. God asks uh, Jonah to go to Nineveh, um, and I think Mark explained quite nice, if, if this is the um, Mediterranean, um, then I think... This strip here would be um, to Jerusalem and the to Bible lands, and Nineveh was kind of up here. But Jonah didn't go a little way in the other direction. He went. He was set off at um, Tarshish, the, far, the farthest um, place in the known world, completely the opposite direction. And then it's not a little storm on the boat, it's a massive storm and he doesn't just get shipwrecked, but he ends up in a fish. And then in today's reading he arrives at Nineveh and um, it doesn't take, people just fall down at his message and they repent straight away and the king's there and not only the people are mourning and wearing sackcloth but even the animals have to wear sackcloth and not eat or drink. It's just all so extreme. And it feels tempting to leave it as a story for the Sunday school or a project for children's illustrators. And yet it is a story in our Bible. And I was interested to read that for the Jewish people still today, on the holiest day of the year, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, this is a story that they read every single year. And interestingly, it's also a story in the Quran, which I didn't know. Hmm. It's a very graphic story. And like many stories in the Bible, as you sit and look and listen, suddenly all sorts of significant symbols, words, and phrases pop out. And today I just want to share around two areas with you. It's the summer, so it's only a two point sermon today. <laughs> The first is about the city of Nineveh, and the second is about the man, Jonah. So Nineveh, as we gathered from the reading, was a huge city. It was a significant city. It was located where two rivers met, so it was on important trading routes. And quite a lot is known about the city. Um, back in, I guess, Victorian times, it was a real treasure trove, for archaeologists who went out there to investigate. And many ancient um, buildings and walls remained actually until only a few years ago when ISIS destroyed so much of it. At the time of Jonah, a huge amount of building was going on. The walls around the city were seven miles long. There were 15 impressive gateways. Palaces were built And there were temples to many different gods. And it was part of the Assyrian Empire. It was where many of the Assyrian rulers made their home. And the Assyrians were the enemy of God's people. And we read in chapter 1 that God saw the place and he saw the evil of the city We don't know what that meant. There's another book in the Bible called Nahum, which is a complete prophecy also against the city of Nineveh. And it talks about it being a place of great cruelty. And this is the place. (laughs) That's okay. So this great city was the place that Jonah was sent, not as part of a team not as a group of 12, not as a group of 72, but just little Jonah on his own. And I'd have thought, if it was me, the thought of having any kind of impact on this massive city would seem nigh on impossible. I think if I was given the choice of going into Nineveh or confronting Goliath single-handed, I'd take my chances with Goliath any day. But after a kind of false start that we heard about last week, Jonah is given a second chance to go to the city. And God says he has a message for the city. It's a very simple message. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. There are two significant things about that little sentence, 40 days does that ring any bells for you? 40 days I wonder how many different places in the Bible you can think of where 40 days are mentioned how many days did it rain for when Noah was in his ark? (laughs) 40 days how long were the Jewish spies looking out around Canaan? 40 days not days but how many years did the israelites wander in the desert 40 how many days did goliath taunt the israelites 40 how many days was jesus in the wilderness 40 and the thing that holds all of those in common were they were times of testing and judgment a time of testing and judgment And then we come to this word, overturned. I'm sure when Jonah heard that, in his mind, overturned meant destroyed. In 40 days, God was going to destroy this evil, wicked place. He was there to prophesy about its downfall. But actually, the word has got a double meaning. It could mean overturned, could mean destroyed, it can also mean turned around. It implies that there's the possibility of God's mercy if there's repentance. And of course, that proved to be the case. God was giving the city time to respond. Even though he hated the evil that was going on in the city, he had compassion on the people and the animals which is nice for those of us who love our dogs and cats. <laughs> he had compassion on the city. And as we read, heard, the king, from the king down, the people did repent. They begged for mercy and they mourned for their sin. That's an important lesson for us, isn't it? That God has compassion on all people no one lies beyond God's grace and compassion. And even though people may be acting in a foul and horrid or annoying way, we don't know what's going on in their lives, what's led them to behave like that. Two weeks ago today, almost to the moment, um, I was down in Cornwall and um, I'd taken myself off early for a little Jog Um, To Cape Cornwall, I don't know if any of you have been to Cape Cornwall. It's really close to Land's End. I think at one time, Cape Cornwall thought that it was the furthest westerly place in the UK. And then someone got a ruler out and realised that Land's End was actually a little bit (laughs) further out that way. But the result is that all the um, rather unattractive buildings are down at Land's End. And Cape Cornwall is this beautiful, unspoilt peninsula sticking out into the sea. It's a beautiful place. And as I sat there, looking out at the sea, um, it was just amazing to see this very flat piece of sea in front of me. And then off to the left, suddenly there were the ripples and the waves. And it was almost like there was a kind of a sea monster underneath the ocean, kind of like chucking the sea around. And it made me think, I was thinking about one or two people um who I'm struggling to know what to do with <laughs> at the moment. And um, and I felt God was saying to me, you don't know what's going on under the surface. I couldn't see what was going on under the sea, the rocks that were there, the different currents that were meeting each other. All I could see was um, the effect it was having on the surface of the water. And I thought that was a good reminder to me that I don't know what's going on in the lives of these people I was thinking about to cause these... Um, Tricky behaviours, hmm. and then I learnt something else about that stretch of water. As you as you are there on the peninsula of Cape Cornwall, just out to sea, there are two little rocks in the sea. Um, I think, on if I was reading it, they'd be called the Brysons. I think the locals call them the Brysons, um, and it's obviously a very treacherous stretch of water of about a mile. Um, But apparently, what I learned while I was down there is that once a year, on one day a year, the weather and the tides are perfect for the locals, all by word of mouth, it's never advertised, make their way down to the little harbour at Cape Cornwall and boats take them out to the Breesons rocks and they can get in the sea and they can swim back to the mainland. But it only happens on one day a year when the passage is safe. And that made me think too that we may see situations or people who are hard and abrasive. But if we get that prompt from God, it might just be that moment where his grace and his love will be received. Like Jonah, we need to keep our ears open to listen to God's prompting. I remember a little while ago, I had a a neighbor who was really struggling and I thought, gosh, I think if you came along to church and got to know God and the love of the family of the church, this could make a real difference to your life. And weeks went by and I felt too shy or awkward about saying anything. And then one particular day I had the courage and spoke to her and she said Oh, yes, I've been thinking I ought to rejoin the flock. <laughs> and it was just an extraordinary thing, and I nearly fell off my seat. And it just shows that sometimes, with the prompting, you never know what God is doing in someone's life. So when we think of Nineveh, we can think about the compassion of God and the wonder of repentance, turning our lives around, receiving his mercy. And of course for us, as New Testament Christians, we know that that repentance and that forgiveness comes through Jesus. We also think about this opportunity and time to change. The old service book talked about time for amendment of life. A little thing to note is that though God relented at this point, a hundred years or so later... Nineveh did fall, and I can only imagine that a new king came on the scene and forgot all that the previous um, generation had learnt. So repentance isn't just a a once-in-a-lifetime thing, but continuously going back to God, realigning our lives with his, turning around. And I suppose that's why the Jewish people read the story of Jonah every year, to remember repentance. And how important it is. So that's Nineveh. More briefly, Jonah, the man Jonah. If Nineveh, the city needed God's compassion and grace, then so too did Jonah. He was a flawed character. He had the reputation of being a man of God. He was a prophet. And yet from the story, we can see that he was disobedient. And he seems to lack any sense of compassion for the people that he was sent to speak to. And yet God still used him. He was given a second chance. He too needed to repent. He Literally, he had to turn around in the direction he was going to go back in the other way. He seemed to repent in his actions But it took a little bit longer for his attitude to also repent. But isn't it interesting how even in his mistakes and his disobedience, God still used him. I was struck last week when we read about the sailors on the boat who had their own gods at the beginning of the story turned to Jonah's God. I wonder if that gave him any kind of confidence for his journey to Nineveh. Hmm. He didn't understand what God was doing, yet God still used him. Thank goodness that God had compassion on Jonah too. And thank goodness that God has compassion on us. We too can be grumpy. We can lack compassion. We can lack wisdom. We can feel very judgmental about other people. Thank goodness God doesn't wait for us to be perfect before we can serve him. He gives us a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance. And because he's redeemer, he can even bring good from our wrong decisions. And coming to them, there's one more little thing about Jonah I want to mention. And that is that the name Jonah means dove. And the dove is a little bird that flits in and out throughout the whole Bible story. In some places, the dove is used because of its mournful cry and the way it flees at the first sign of danger. And because of that, you could perhaps say that Jonah was well named. He had a mournful cry and he f- fleed, flew at the first sign of danger. <laughs> but we, do you remember in that psalm we read together? There was this, um, the the words Psalm 55, uh, and put to music in so many different ways. Oh, for the wings of a dove. Or oh, it feels like a cry, just to want to escape, just to want to get out of there. But that's not what the psalm goes on to say. It's not an escape from problems, but it's flying to that cleft in the rock, that place of shelter close to God. And I think that's a beautiful thing for us when life is messy and difficult, not to flee and to run away, but flee towards God, to hide in him, to trust him with our lives and with the situation. And of course the dove is a symbol of the Holy Spirit too. And we see God moving mysteriously in this strange and graphic story. Psalm 55 ends with a call to trust God. And I think when life feels messy and complex, the most wonderful prayer I have found is to simply say to God, I love you and I trust you. Shall we finish in prayer now? Dear Lord, we do thank you for this story of Jonah. Show us how we can apply its lessons to our lives now. Lord, I'm sure we all have Ninevehs in our own lives. Tasks or individuals who just feel difficult. Lord, give us your compassion. Lord, give us your love that we might bring your light to dark places and troubled lives. Lord, we acknowledge that like Jonah, we are imperfect. We don't have a fraction of your compassion or love. Lord, help us to live lives of repentance, aligning our lives and wills with yours again and again. Show us how to hide in you, how to rest in you, our rock and our redeemer. How to trust you, not that we hide away from the world, but that we are equipped to bring your light to a dark world. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus.